0: Blog Talk Radio. Blog. I'm your host Drake Shelton on this July 8th, 2013. This broadcast is for the spiritual and temporal benefit of my people, the atheist-driven and socially suicidal minority, Caucasian peoples, primarily the peoples of the Southland of America, but also of the world, the white race, known in biblical chronology as the line of Japheth. This broadcast is intended to call my people's back to their covenant obligations. Oh, and by the way, are you ready for the race war, friend? It's scheduled to pop off either wednesday or friday of this week i i'm i'm actually I'm actually thinking to myself that my agenda may may be successful before I had originally intended it. I've been predicting to all my friends who actually still watch, read my blog. I used to have hundreds of more people a day that read my blog than do now because of my my articles on the racial issues and the civil rights and the civil war and stuff—like I lost so many readers, unbelievable. By studying that stuff, but you know what? Uh, it looks like very soon I'm be getting a lot of those readers back, or at least replacements. Um, as soon as this race war pops off, folks, the 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 um, uh, the, the glaze that has been uh, smeared over the eyes of the Uh, white people here in America is going to be removed and people are going to be seeing very clearly and people are going to be wanting answers and as soon as it happens I'm going to have all of them I'm going to know these issues like the back of my hand I'm going to stand right out in front of uh, this huge courthouse just a few blocks down from where I live at and I'm going to have a big sign around me that says racial separation and I'm going to know these issues really well right, right when it's off the press I thought I was going to have to wait about 15 years for this stuff, you know, for for there just to be a huge, uh, you know, just a, a very slow, huge uh, genocide of white people and this uh, huge population of foreigners that want to kill white people. But seeing what's going to happen with the Zimmerman thing and possibly with the uh, Obama thing, if there's a race riot, these people are going to get a taste of this before before 15 years from now, they're going to get tasted pretty quick. And I'm going to do what I can to keep the fascists from taking over. I'm going to to replace those fascists with with my Torah-ism. Yeah, so, um, get ready for the race Ride, friend. I I hope you're buckled up. I hope you're buckled up. I just, uh, I'm not going to say any names, but I spoke to a black gentleman just uh, two nights ago. Uh, He's a friend of mine. And I said to him, you know what? Uh, And I had never spoken to him about racial issues before. And I said, you know, if uh, Zimmerman gets acquitted, we're going to have L.A. riots again. He looked at me very quickly and very firmly like I've never seen him before. He says, that's exactly right. He's a black gentleman, lives in the black community. They're waiting for it, folks. They're just waiting for it. Alright, this broadcast is intended to call my peoples back to their covenant obligations in the solemn league and covenant pursuant to the royal prerogative of Yahshua, Hamashiach, who having resurrected from the dead ascended far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, for he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. In doing so, this broadcast will expose the unforgivable treason committed against Yahshua's royal prerogative by the so-called Enlightenment, its Offspring, Dispensationalism, Arminianism, Liberty of Conscience, Materialism, Darwinism, and their social applications, pluralism, integration, miscegenation, and the communist idea of rights developed out of abolition philosophy in the mid-to-late 19th century. All made possible in these hallowed grounds of the Southland of America by the wicked pen of Thomas Jefferson who, being of the stock of those great white Protestant nations that overturned the tyranny of the Holy Roman Empire, destroyed their national protections against Rome by opening their doors to be infiltrated by Rome through his fatuous and obstinate ideas of absolute religious toleration. In improving our covenant obligations, I advocate in the place and spirit of Eusebius of Caesarea and that great martyr of the faith, Gentilus John Valentine, that the Hellenistic theology proper of the Cappadocian brothers as well as Victorinus, Marcellus and pseudo known popularly today as the Triune God, be condemned as the synchronistic and Sibyllian heresy that it is. This broadcast advocates the return of the original doctrine of God as summarized in the Apostles' Creed and the original Nicene Creed, that the one true God is the Father of Yeshua HaMashiach, not an abstract essence or being, but a singular person, Yahweh, from whom the Son is eternally begotten and the Spirit eternally proceeds. This broadcast is also intended to revive the messianic Judaism and the sect of the Nazarene, that's the perfection of the Protestant Reformation. This broadcast is also intended to revive the spirit and authority of the fourth commandment of Moses' law, the doctrine of the Sabbath, which said doctrine has been made impossible to perform with the invasion and establishment of the Darwinian Yankee laissez-faire capitalist industrial way of life. And just a note on that, folks. Um, I've recently written a number of articles on my website, um, Uncreated Light, which is, you can get the URLs, drakeshelton.com, where I show you, I document for you the history of the Nazarene, that uh, from the writings of Epiphanius and his Panoramia, uh, I have an admission of a man who hated the Nazarene, that the Nazarene were, in fact, of the original stock of the apostles, that they did not refer to themselves as Christians, but as Nazarene, that kept the Old Testament law, and did believe in Yahshua HaMashiach, and uh this man despised them, but he admitted their true history and uh I think that's fairly devastating that this man would recognize and admit that these were the uh these were from the stock. These people were where the apostles left off at. It's it's uh, bad folks, over um but the but the, the decapolis and um uh Bella that's where they left off and that's where uh, the Nazarene have their origin. And I point out, just I, I published an a article just this morning on uh, whether or not Yeshua and the apostles and the early disciples kept the so-called Jewish feasts. Uh, Jubilee and Passover and Deuteronomy, Rosh Hashanah, Unleavened Bread and whatnot. Uh, yes, they did. There's There's no doubt about it, folks. No doubt about it. They did. And for Paul to say... To condemn the Galatians for practicing uh, these feasts is completely untenable. Completely untenable. There's no way that's what he was saying. He would have to be condemning his own life and the life of Yahshua. Uh, the Nazarene have a lot to teach us. And I'm not saying that everybody that's Nazarene is right. I'm, I'm finding two big errors in the Nazarene apologists. And it's not all of them. Um, one big one is, is the one this civilian crap. Um, Lou White teaches that. Lou White's... i will never mind. He he teaches that, and I think he's a heretic. I I challenged him on the issue, and he he hasn't answered me really anything substantial whatsoever. He just kind of asserted his way through the conversation. Um, I gave him the history. I I showed him that he was in error in saying that the original Nicene Creed taught that the Father and the Son were one being. Uh, I showed him his error on that, and he just basically replied by... Saying that history is too difficult to understand and all this stuff, it was just, it was just a total cop out. Which is, you know, anybody, any of my listeners that have actually followed that conversation for any period of time knows that that's exactly what happens. I'm, I'm sorry, like, like David and I know more about the David Waltz and I know, more, like, you're not going to find anybody that knows anybody knows more than we do about these issues. And David, I don't understand how nice that man stays. He's such a kind man. And I don't understand how he does it. I mean, just people, people are just get so uh, obnoxious and ridiculous over this issue. And um, I've seen that that is a big error uh, is the one the civilian nonsense. But then there's another error that I found with reference to their understanding of the law. Um, I, I, Daniel Lee of Spirit and Torah. I've learned quite a bit from Daniel Lee. I I respect his um, uh, scholarship on a number of other aspects, uh, a number of other writings that he did, and then Chris Barr. um, uh, I I appreciate their showing me how um, the Apostles did in fact uh, reject a Talmudic interpretation of the Torah instead of the Torah itself. I, I, I understand that in many instances. However, what comes across clear to you if you read uh, some of their Nazarene writings is that when the apostles are saying that you can't keep the law and that the law is a curse what they're saying is that the Talmud, the Talmudic interpretation of the law is you can't keep it and it's a curse and that you really can keep perfectly the Torah. Um, That's perfectionism. I can't believe that stuff, and and what and what that stuff turns into is justification by works. No, I can't believe that. No, no the, the scriptures are very clear that um, that we're all sinners, all of us, and that we break uh, God's laws, Yahweh's laws, every day. And uh, I won't be caught up in that nonsense. Now, I do believe there's a sense in which we can practice, in a general sense, we can practice uh, Yahweh's commandments and keep a short record of uh, uh, repentance and faith in Him every single day. But that perfectionism stuff is poison. And I I don't, uh, I will never subscribe to that doctrine. All right, um... So, just a caveat there. This broadcast advocates the return of the agricultural way of life, which will maintain a healthy and sustainable food supply, preserving the lives of our people and the sovereignty of our lands, to the exclusion of the Yankees' international grid, which has made our lands dependent on international markets and banks. Pursuant to the Solemn League and Covenant, this broadcast advocates the exclusion of Roman Catholicism and all forms of prelacy, including Episcopalianism and Eastern Orthodoxy from our lands. This broadcast advocates the removal of all pagan and idolatrous religions and groups from our lands, including the Messiah rejecting an accursed judaist Kabbalism, the Masonic Lodge, the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Malta, and any other organization espousing Zionist or pro-Vatican ideology. This broadcast is also intended to expose the prostitution of the Church by the government agents who run American churches via contract with the IRS, contract title 501c3. Uh, this broadcast will demonstrate that the counter-reformation of the 16th century Roman Catholic Church and the creation of the Jesuit Order is the driving force behind the current movement toward globalism in an effort to destroy all the historic enemies of the international prerogative of the Vatican, known as the doctrine of ultramontanism. Having demonstrated this with philosophical argumentation, historic documentation this broadcast advocates the establishment of dominantly white jufetic English-speaking patriarchal nation comprised of those religious groups descended from the Baptist and Protestant Reformation, which said movement broke the power of the Pope's Dark Ages with the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, introducing the modern period. Now to begin. All right, so we're um, continuing on here with our history of the Jesuits. I've basically concluded my history of uh, the Civil War but we're still going to have to talk a little bit about the South, a little bit more about the South, um, which is which is very important to us. I I have clearly established uh, from previous uh, writings and uh, previous um, broadcasts that yes, indeed, the Jesuits were behind uh, the invasion of the South, pursuant to their reestablishment in 1814 uh, with their servant uh, von Metternich and his Council of Vienna, the Treaty of Verona uh, which lays the foundation for the uh, subsequent uh, invasion of American Protestant universities uh, Yale University, other ones uh, like the Skull and Bones organization uh, where you have the Luciferianism of the Jesuits which which was um, created after their suppression in 1773 Um, remember uh, folks, it was the reason why these secret societies pop up in the early 1700s and in the late 1700s is because the Jesuits are suppressed and they have to go underground. Uh, With with Freemasonry in 1717, the reason why that was an underground organization is because the Jesuits in the Roman Catholic Church lost the Thirty Years' War and then they lost to to William and Mary with the Glorious Revolution in 1688. And then they tried again a couple years later to overthrow William and Mary and they failed again. And so seeing that they could not uh, maintain their agenda out in, out in the open, they had to go secret. And then uh, with their suppression in 1773, with the papal bull, dominus equidemter noster, they have to go underground. And as soon as they go underground, what happens? Well, 1776, Adam Weishaupt, who was a Jesuit trained, Jesuit coadjutor, he was a professional Roman Catholic, he taught uh, canon law at the University of Ingolstadt in Germany, he wasn't just some dude, he was a professional Roman Catholic Jesuit coadjutor. Okay? There's no no disputing that. Now, um, uh, when when Adam Weishaupt uh, creates, the, creates the Illuminati 1776 You did have a um, a book that came out later called, um, it was written by John Robison on the Illuminati and he talks about the fact that um, the reason why we know about the Illuminati is because the surrounding government there actually uh, found out what they were doing and confiscated their paperwork and that's why we have knowledge of the Illuminati their papers were made public. Um, so, let us begin with some Jesuit action. Um, but, oh, and I forgot to tell you, General Sherman, um, the man who wreaked havoc on the South, the Yankee general, uh, the scorched earth bastard that he was, uh, his son was a Jesuit. That's right. You looked look that up on Wikipedia. His son was a Jesuit. Okay, so we've seen the, the Jesuits and the Roman Catholics behind the Civil War. We have von Metternicht. Uh, he controls um, the monarchical agenda of the Yankees through Charles Sumner and through Thaddeus Stevens. Thaddeus Stevens, and I have this documented on my blog, Thaddeus Stevens was indeed a Roman Catholic. He became a Roman Catholic officially on his deathbed. And then we have um, Jefferson Davis, his correspondence with the Pope, and um, then we have Robert E. Lee as well, calling Stonewall Jackson off five different times when Stonewall Jackson had opportunities to take over the Union Army. Uh, Robert E. Lee and Je- uh, uh, Jefferson Davis were both Episcopalians, and that means they are Jesuit coadjutors. If you remember, uh, in the Solemn League and Covenant, the Solemn League and Covenant forbids us to come into covenant and to associate with prelates or prelacy. Prelacy is a church government by hierarchs, uh, by prelates if you read any Puritan literature you'll see the word prelate often it's referring to uh, a, a bishop within a certain church that's more than just your pastor he, he has he has serious representational clout within the church which means he also has connections, he's going to have connections with the government uh, that's one of the reasons why prelacy is such a bad idea is because these hierarchs always have these connections with the civil government um we're going to be getting into some good stuff here. So 1865, supposedly Lincoln, May, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, after Gettysburg, um, he supposedly had a conversion experience. And he began to oppose his Jesuit masters. And for this, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated by the Roman Catholic John Wilkes Booth on April 14, 1865. And the Surat family was involved as well. You can watch a movie on this called The Conspirator. It was made in 2010. I've watched it. It's it's okay. Some good history in there. Uh, John Harrison Surat, Jr., 1844 to 1916, was accused of plotting with Booth to kidnap Lincoln and was suspected of being involved in the assassination. John Surat's mother, Mary Surat, was convicted of a conspiracy and hanged by the U.S. federal government. And that's what that movie is about. Uh, John Harrison Surat Jr. avoided arrest by escaping the country. It is of note that he served in the Papal Zouave. Uh, this is a military order formed to defend the Papal States, which were territories under papal uh, papal supremacy. After the assassination of Lincoln, Surat fled to Canada. He reached Montreal on April 17, 1865. He then fled to St. Libroir, uh, to seek refuge with Father Charles Boucher. Uh, Surot was caught and put on trial, though he was not found guilty. Charles Chiniqui, in his uh, 50 years in the Church of Rome, alleges that the jury contained three Roman Catholics devoted to his cause. That's why he was uh, acquitted. Now, in 1865, here we go with the South. Okay? You have the beginning of the public school system here in the South. Okay, And Robert Louis Dabney, beloved Robert Louis Dabney, Beloved Robert Louis Dabney, oh, beloved man. Um, that man has that man has opened my eyes on so many issues. It's unbelievable. I love Robert Louis Dabney. His, his sociology and his political writings are top shelf. They they are so easy to understand, at the same time they are so profound and answer so many deep questions. Because the man understands the Bible and he understands the Old Testament. The man actually believes the Old Testament. Charles Dabney has been a huge bridge for me to go back to being a Torah, for me to receive Torah. Watching the Christian religion waffle around with the Old Testament and screw up civilization with their hatred of racialism, with their love of this, this... Natural law philosophy that came out of the Enlightenment and this Renaissance and all that nonsense about natural law and equality and all this BS. Robert Louis Dabney cuts through all that with, with, with verses from the Torah and from the writings of Moses. I love it. I love it. Thank, thank Yahweh for Robert Louis Dabney. What a blessed white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Um here we have in eighteen sixty five the beginning of the public schools you, you can go to dabney archives it 's a great website online has all of his writings for free and they are just solid and he has his writings on the public school and his he had he had debates with um uh, with political officers um in the south over this issue great stuff uh and then from eighteen sixty five And by the way, the the establishment of the public school was just for the further genocide of the South, for there to be increased racial animosity between black and white, for this educational system to demonize both black and – mostly to demonize white people, of course, to make black people want to do terrible things to white people. But, uh, of course, it was all run by the the white uh, Yankee northerners. And oh my goodness, what am I going to start talking about? Let's talk about the Ku Klux Klan, okay? Because the Ku Klux Klan is where we get, uh, is the reaction that the Southerners made against what was happening to them in the South. And as I gave in my last broadcast, the war crimes committed against Southern civilians, something needed to happen to protect these people, folks, okay? That was just the beginning. That was just the beginning of the nightmare for my family down here in the south. That was just the beginning. Watching your neighbors out of go completely insane, walking down the street like a zombie because they can't cope with the reality that they just witnessed their daughter being gang raped by the Yankee army. Okay? And your family has been raped, pillaged, and murdered by the Yankees. And this is just the beginning of sorrows for you. Everything about your way of life completely destroyed. Something had to happen to protect these people. And you know what, listener? And this is going to piss you off. If I had been living at this time, I would have been involved in the original Ku Klux Klan. I would not have been involved with the Ku Klux Klans that came after, with the Freemasonic son-of-a-bitch Albert Pike. And he was was a Jesuit through and through. And we're going to talk about that piece of human trash here in a little bit. But um, uh, Albert Pike is the one who creates the second Ku Klux Klan. But the original Ku Klux Klan was completely understandable, completely justified. Uh, The following uh, history here is based on uh, the authentic history of the Ku Klux Klan, 1865 to 1877, by Susan Lawrence Davis. Captain John C. Lester originated the idea of the KKK with young Confederate soldiers. The word Ku Klux Klan is derived from the Greek word "kuklos," meaning a band or circle, and clan deriving their Scotch-Irish descent. So we have a uh, a band of Scotch-Irish um, men, Southern men. It began in Pulaski, Tennessee in 1865, merely as entertainment to lift the spirits of a downtrodden and depressed society. The white garments were merely costumes for mystery and entertainment. The secret membership was also for entertainment and a way to entice people to join. It worked. The extravagant titles, Grand Wizard, Grand Cyclops, were given specifically to avoid the idea that this was a serious military or political organization. It was meant to be a secret social club. As they developed, they began to see how their mysterious nature gripped men and controlled their superstitious black population. The Klan began to surround meetings that the carpetbaggers of the North would hold as they came to the South and tried to incite the Negroes to kill their former masters by burning them alive in their homes so the, quote, land would be divided among them, unquote. One Negro heard this and went home to tell his master's family. One happened to be in the KKK. That night, the KKK broke up many such meetings. As a personal note, Major Crow and Richard R. Reed of the original six founders of the KKK were Presbyterian, and most of the six men were associated with some kind of Protestant church. Now, I'll admit, and I admit this proudly, the first KKK was a white Christian. Uh, Bible-believing organization. Now, uh, Susan B. Davis, in her great work on page 36, says, quote, The immediate necessity for regulation at Athens had grown out of the fact that the idea of social equality between the whites and Negroes had been suddenly raised there by white women who had been sent from the North to teach the Negroes. Okay? You want to know why, ladies? You want to know why I'm so hard on you on this program? Because I have all the historical documentation to show it. You white devil women are the, you aren't the ultimate cause, but you are the most predominant numerical immediate cause. Okay? You're you're the problem here. One of these white women was seen driving with a Negro man on a footing of perfect equality, and it aroused the thinking men to consider that steps should be taken to maintain their determination that there should never be any social equality between the races in the South. Suffrage, or the right to vote, had been denied the men of the seceding states by the government at Washington. So legislative power to control this was not possible. The Negro men were enfranchised, and the state offices were filled with them, and carpetbaggers who were the scum that had been thrown to the surface of the great Civil War upheaval and which had settled upon the South. This condition rankled in the hearts of the proud Southerners and it was therefore natural that they should turn to the sources of relief of which they had heard only meager details, the Ku Klux Klan, which had to some extent assisted the people of Tennessee. I'm going to tell you right now. When uh, Let me get a drink of water real quick. When uh, this is about to happen here, probably again, we're going to have huge black on white crime here with these uh, after the Zimmerman acquittal and after the impeachment of Obama. That may not happen, but uh, for sure, there, there's going to be racial tension over the Zimmerman trial. Uh, uh, they're going to impose martial law upon us. And in order to. Uh, maintain ourselves, there's going to be some kind of uh, militia movement here. There's already a large militia movement here, but the Ku Klux Klan was pretty much one of the first militias for the South. Davis also points out on page 37, quote, the first officers of the Athens, Alabama Ku Klux Klan, number two, were Grand Cyclops. I'm not going to name all those people. Okay. At this meeting at the Cove, they discussed white supremacy and decided that they would make it the chief business of the Ku Klux Klan. A week later, the Athens Ku Klux Klan held another meeting at the Cove and initiated hundreds of members who were incensed at the bold attempt of this white woman from the north to associate openly with Negro men, thus offending the southern people. Um, as, a, as a paraphrastic, folks, notice what is about to be said. They were offended at the Negro because they hated black people, right? Wrong. No. In their helplessness to legislate against such an evil condition. The reason why they had a problem with the black people is because the black people were substituting um, they were substituting themselves to the white men. They weren't able to the white men weren't able to even represent themselves. They were inciting these white women and these black men were inciting these white people in the south and m- mocking them that they had they had no control over their lives now, that they had been supplanted. They were upset because the white woman from the north was associating with a negro to lord it over the southern whites. Their entire civilization, their way of life, and their right to vote was stripped from them. Continuing with Davis, quote, The cove, the chosen spot for the meeting of the Ku Klux Klan, was a natural amphitheater, Mm-hmm. And they, they, this is where they rough up a young black man. The Ku Klux Klan then baptized him in the ice-cold spring in the faith of white supremacy and sent him home through the darkness, shivering and cold, and that he was a man of his word is proved by the fact that he convinced the teachers from the north that the idea of social equality must be eliminated from the minds of the Negroes there forever. Hmm. It was at this meeting that the KKK formulated the policy of the white supremacy in the South as the work to be done by the Ku Klux Klan, and they determined that social and political equality of the races should never be established in the southern states, knowing as they did that the radicals intended by enfranchising the Negroes and disenfranchising the white men to secure control of the government of the southern states and meant to uphold Negro suffrage by military rule, the Ku Klux Klan caused this scheme to fail completely." which is why the uh, Ulysses Grant and those sons of bitches from the north had to basically give us a military occupation down here it wasn't because they hated black people they hated being disenfranchised by white women and black people, that was the issue it wasn't that they just hated black people we've been living with black people on on our land, in our houses for many decades now the plot thickens David says, quote, When the biographies of the Ku Klux Klan are read, you will understand why the crimes attributed to them could not be laid at their door, and at the same time all blame must not be charged to the representative representatives of the various Ku Klux Klans. Yeah, folks, there were there there were fake Ku Klux Klans down here that committed terrible acts and blamed it on the on the real Ku Klux Klan so that they could be destroyed. Hmm. And they were, but they, and, and Davis points out that they were uh, the people in the South were, again, raped, pillaged, and murdered by another group uh, from the North called the Tories, and this was a group from James II's party in uh, in England. A man named Tom Clark was one of the leaders. Yeah rape, pillage, and murder. Tories began the reign of terror in northern Alabama, having them commit rapine, murder, and robberies, and escape punishment for years. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that's the substance of it. Okay, and I'm not, I'm not uh, justifying the uh, any, any violence that was committed by the second or third Ku Klux Klan with the, uh, the COINTELPRO operations of the FBI and the CIA, which is admitted. Sorry, folks. It was admitted. The FBI and the CIA were leading the white men in the, the Ku Klux Klans in the 20th century to commit those horrible actions against blacks so that they could uh, that, w- that would be a justification uh, for the Commerce Clause uh, legislation of the so-called American Civil Rights Act. Uh, and for more information, the reader can consult or the listener can consult the prostrate state, South Carolina under Negro government by James Pike. All right. Now, um, that's just an introduction to Reconstruction, the Reconstruction period in the South. I have also written a um, another article called Proud to be a White Anglo-Protestant, part four, More Crimes Against White Anglo-Protestants, The Impoverishment of the Southern Colonies. You will learn, folks, that after the Civil War was over, and, and really um, during the, you know, right after the Civil War and afterwards the south never receives remuneration folks you see lincoln had actually mentioned that in his in the lincoln douglas debates and other places that he was going to remunerate the south uh, he didn't want them to be uh, he didn't want their economy to be destroyed cuz he knew how important the south was and um uh he was going to remunerate us which means that we were going to get money back for our lost, our lost property the slaves but that didn't happen. There's only two places on the earth that didn't happen. That was here in the, south, the southern colonies here and in South Africa. Um, why? Because we were the biggest bastions of Protestantism. We were the, most, we were the strongest places in the world where there were Protestant, uh, Protestant Bible believers. And um, all the Catholic nations, they all received huge amounts of remuneration, primarily from the Protestants in England. You see how the Jesuits worked all that out? The Jesuits had, and with uh, von Metternich, the Jesuits having controlled England since the time of King George III, as I documented very extensively in my previous broadcasts. We have the um, Protestants uh, in England losing millions and tens of millions of pounds to, to remunerate Catholic nations like Spain and Portugal and Mexico and other places but in um, France and but the the uh, colonies here in the, South, in the South and the colonies in South Africa where the Protestant Boers were, no, no, we, we were to be impoverished, we were to have everything destroyed, all of our whole way of life destroyed but we're still the Bible Belt We're still the Bible Belt. You damn Yankees succeeded for a while. For a while. We're going to rise again. We're going to rise again. And I'm going to make sure of that. Now I want to play you a little video here. This is, um, this is Ron Paul. Uh, He's speaking with, um, He's speaking with Bill Maher, and they're talking about uh, they're talking about the Civil War, and uh, Maher Maher wants to know why uh, Ron Paul doesn't believe in the American Civil War. All right, so we're gonna play this little tidbit here. Oh, he wants to be the Republican nominee for one second. Here it goes. Three. And they never forgot that. So that helped lead to the radicalization. But, but Congress, you are pretty far out there as far as the libertarian thing. I mean, I've read that you said that you don't think we should have fought the Civil War. Well, I don't think I, – I think there would have been a better way. Have you studied the history? Every other major country of the world uh, was able to get rid of slavery without a civil war. So the civil war wasn't fought over slavery. Civil war was fought over unifying and making a strong centralized state. Uh, you could have paid for uh, all the slaves and, and released them, and there were proposals like that. That's the way they Brit- – the British did it. Every major country in the world got rid of slavery without a civil war except us. So it, it was not necessary. And uh there were terrorists involved and many other reasons why the Civil War was fought. But uh if you read Lincoln carefully you'll realize that Lincoln was not the greatest opponent of slavery, and uh if if you don't look at that you're you're denying uh, a very important part of our history. All right. Not for the Civil War. Okay, so um there's a good point that Ron Paul's making. And, and uh, I, I don't trust Ron Paul, but um, he did make a good point there. Why is it that a, a war that costs so much down here uh, could have been avoided? Okay, Because this was an inquisition, folks. This was not about helping the black people. This was about an inquisition. The... Southland of America, and I, I, I've written a, a blog about this on my website, about why white people came here to tour, why Europe, white Europeans came to North America. And uh, I point out that the reason why this was, and this happened down here, is because this was the refuge of the Protestants that were being persecuted over in Europe. When the French are being persecuted, uh, after the revocation of the Eve of Mons in 1688, where do they go? They go down to South Carolina. When the English are being – the English Protestants, my ancestors, in the 1600s are being uh, persecuted by the Stuart kings, where do they flee? Into Virginia. okay. And you have this – down here in, in, uh, in the Dutch also, when they're being persecuted by the Inquisition in the late 1600s, they, they also uh, go here to North America and they also go down to South Africa. Uh, the French and the Dutch also go down to South Africa. That's where you get the Boer colony. So it, it's it's fascinating, and I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a series of broadcasts on South Africa as well because our history is so similar. There's a reason why our history is so similar, folks, because our our historical religion is so similar, and that is we are people who refuse to submit to the Vatican. Who refuse to go along with all their with all of their uh, ceremonies and all their superstitions, and we refuse to believe anything that they can't show us in the Bible. <laughs> That's the issue. It's this is all about religion. It's all about religion. The reason why why is it and what's the answer to Ron Paul's Ron Paul's argument? Ron Paul says, Why did we need to fight a, a war over slaves when slavery could have been taken care of monetarily? much less expensive than the cost was for the war the answer because this was not about slavery it was about a, this was about an inquisition the, the the jesuits had already infiltrated the universities of the north they were turning them away from the protestant reformation per charles finney and the second great awakening okay it was it was going all towards our jesuit arminianism okay they wanted to destroy the south because the south was primarily a calvinistic People, we were Calvinistic down here. Huge. This was like the headquarters of Calvinism in the world. I mean, all the big uh, guys that you have uh, that are taught in Protestant seminaries today. Who's the Who's the big one? Robert Louis Dabney. Who is another one? Charles Hodge uh, from uh, Princeton. Princeton uh, theology. Um, let's see. Where is Princeton? Now, Princeton's in New Jersey. However, um, at least Robert Lewis Dabney. Robert Louis Dabney was a um huge, is a huge figure in Presbyterian theology. And James Henry Thornwell, um, Samuel Davies. So, you know, like the and um I think John L. John Gerard- John Gerardo. Yeah, John L. Ger- John L. Gerardo. Uh, he, he, the, the South was the bastion of uh, of southern protest of Protestantism in the world. It was it was a bastion. So, folks, don't 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 believe the the, the party line. Okay, this was about religion. It was not about slavery. It was not about helping the black people. As I showed very clearly, the Yankees gave a damn about the black people. This is from Eric John Phelps, uh, Vatican Assassins, uh, in his third edition, page 616, quotation. On July 28, 1868, the 14th Amendment was declared to be, quote, ratified by the radicals in Washington. Since 1866, the th- southern states have been under martial law and divided into five military districts. The districts were governed by five Union generals beholden to the Jesuits, including General Benjamin F. Butler, known as Butler the Beast. The wicked, bigoted Thaddeus Stevens with his Reconstruction Act of 1866. And by the way, I have on my blog uh, clear documentation that Thaddeus Stevens did in fact, uh, was in fact uh, a Roman Catholic. He uh, became formally a Roman Catholic on his deathbed. Uh, and why? Because the southern state governments, having ratified the 13th Amendment, refused to ratify the 14th Amendment. So the solution of the radicals to the disgrace of the Protestant ministers and people uh, people of the North was to suspend the lawful state governments and to impose martial law, which is absolutism. The only way the southern states could be readmitted into this new union of North American socialist republics, thereby ending martial law, was to ratify this new amendment that is called consent at the point of a bayonet, or rather, forced conversion of taste. Fantastic. Okay, so that's how the Fourteenth Amendment got passed here, folks. Was with our occupation here from 1865 to 1877. That's how they—that's how they got us to pass the Fourteenth Amendment. Was with um, was with this this occupation, this military law that we had here. Martial law that we had here under Ulysses S Grant and other pieces of garbage in in the uh White House. Uh and this is why you, you see right after this you see that the, the blacks are totally shocked that they didn't get what they thought they were going to get. <laughs> you see after uh uh after reconstruction period supposedly it was over at 1877 The the blacks are just freaking out that they don't have anything. You know, some people got 40 acres and a mule. uh, But, you know, most of the people are still just left hopeless. At least in slavery, they had a place to live. They had food to eat. They had water to drink. They had family. They had, you know, whatever they needed for their sustenance. But now they had nothing. (laughs) So, uh The 14th Amendment turns the United States into an empire, folks. At first, when you were first a citizen of your state and then a citizen of the United States, now with the 14th Amendment, you're first a citizen of the United States and then a citizen of your state. This amendment flipped the sovereignty of the states upside down and made the American man first and foremost a member of an easily manipulated empire. This is from James Gillespie Blaine. Uh, U.S. Representative and Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Uh, This is from his Political Discussions, 1887, page 63 and 64. Quote, in the first place, we ask that they will agree to certain changes in the Constitution of the United States. And begin with, we want them to unite with us in broadening the citizenship of the Republic. The slaves recently emancipated by proclamation and subsequently by constitutional amendment have no civil status. They should be made citizens, and in making this extension of citizenship, we are are not confining the breadth and scope of our efforts to the Negro. It is for the white man as well. We intend to make citizenship national. Heretofore, a man has been a citizen of the United States because he was a citizen of some one of the states. Now we propose to reverse that and make him a citizen of any state where he chooses to reside by defining in advance his national citizenship, and our amendment declares that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subsequent to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the states wherein they reside. Now, uh, in 1872, um, the term. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna move over here to to Europe. Real quick, because this is very important. What happens in 1872, we would not we want to miss this. The Jesuits get kicked out of Germany, formally. And you've got to understand, folks, this, this, this is why the Third Reich comes after this, was to destroy the Protestant Reich. Okay? 1872, the term "Kulturkampf" cultural struggle, was coined by the German pathologist and liberal politician Rudolf Virchow... 1821 to 1902, to describe the struggle between the Catholic Church and the Prussian state. Shortly after unification in 1871, Bismarck and his Minister of Culture, Adel- Adelbert Falk, 1827 to 1900, inaugurated a series of legislative initiatives designed to undermine the Catholic Church's autonomy in Germany. And by the way, folks, this is reversed with the um, Reitz Concordant in 1933, in July 1872, the anti-Jesuit law banned the Jesuit order. And by the way, you can read that at GermanHistoryDocs.Jhi-Dc.Org. Um, this law was repealed in 1917. Okay, and this shows you this shows you the revival of Catholic power in Germany, folks. Uh, and that's where you, that's where you have the the Catholic Center Party coming up in the years following, and with the Rights Concordat in 1933, uh, Pius XII, his influence there. Yes, folks, yes. Um, and a man named Leo Lehman wrote a book called Behind the Dictators, where he showed that the Catholic Church was indeed the presiding power behind the Third Reich. 1873, the slaughterhouse cases. This is very important. The 14th Amendment's imperial qualities are solidified by the Supreme Court. The Court held that the 14th Amendment's privileges or immunities clause only affected the rights of federal citizenship and not state citizenship. Eric, Eric John Phelps says in his Vatican Assassins, 2001, page 342 In looking back, we Americans can see the evil decisions made possible by the Jesuits, federal question jurisdiction. Among others, it enabled the Supreme Court to force the religion of evolution down our throats, to force the integration of public schools when neither the whites nor the blacks wanted it, to legalize abortion and prohibit capital punishment, overthrowing laws of the states to the contrary, and to outlaw Bible reading and prayers in the accursed public schools. For in prohibiting Bible reading and prayer in the public schools, Protestant civilization is destroyed, and with it popular self-government, to the delight of the Jesuit order." And really, folks, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Here we have the 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 slaughterhouse cases say that the Fourteenth Amendment's privileges or immunities clause, okay, is on, only affected the rights of federal citizenship, not state citizenship. Okay, that's huge. Um, we could go into a lot of stuff here. But you know, it's at this period. Now, true, you know, you can watch the Gangs of New York movie where it shows uh, the things I talked about with Charles chenequy where these you have this huge Irish population coming over here after the potato famine. Um, but in the late 1800s, you also have a another huge push of Italian and Irish Catholics coming over here to North America. Okay. And the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants in the north, the abolitionists that they are, um, you know they wanted to impose uh, the prohibition on them because they thought that that would keep the Catholics in line. Uh, but it wasn't. The Irish and the Italian Catholics are a bunch of gangsters and thugs. I'm sorry. That's where it came from. The, the, the organized crime that we have here in America was brought to us by the Catholic Church and executed through their drunken and violent... Lay population, and mostly Irish and Italian ethnicity. And there's a reason why the Irish were not uh, invited to work. You know, the whole you watch the movie Far and Away with um, with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and you know you're you're met with the the, the plight of the Irish. The Irish of the niggers from Europe. Uh, that's supposedly a quote in the in the uh, uh, that none of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants here wanted to hire the Irish. Uh, there's a reason for that, folks. Okay, and it's because Catholic civilization, in its pure form, and the, the Catholics here in America are way too Protestant to be considered Catholic. Okay, they like to. They want to make sure their people are educated, know how to. The common people are educated and read and read the Bible, and that's not Catholic civilization. That is a reaction that Catholic Church has made here in America uh, against the uh enlightened and educated protestant population that that is what that's all about you go to a real catholic country like a mexico or something like that nowadays those people are like they are third world savages and that's what you that's what roman catholic civilization produces uh, folks remember, remember like this is not a conspiracy theory okay uh the, we already pointed this out from the Council of Trent, their fourth session of the Council of Trent, very clearly condemns freedom of the press. They don't want you reading. They don't. They don't want you reading and getting knowledge for yourself. Uh, Pope Pius IX, Syllabus of Errors, section number 80, he very clearly states, he despises the ideas of human progress. Um, and I've already shown – Okay, they don't care about an educated populace, folks. The real Roman Catholic Church does not care about an educated populace. They want the people completely despondent, completely immoral, so they're completely dependent on the church. And they don't, they're not smart enough and know enough to question the authority and the judgments of the hierarchy. And you're going to say, Oh, Drake, what about Jim Crow? Okay, what about Jim Crow? Weren't the evil white people in the South persecuting the black people with Jim Crow? All right, well folks, let's just come to grips with reality here, okay? Uh, Jim Crow was passed by Yankee legislators, not Southern legislators, okay? This is the Plessy versus Ferguson case in 1896. This is what you want to look at, okay? This is what dictated the separate but equal status for blacks. Um, It was passed by the Supreme Court with a vote of 7 to 1. All the affirmative voters were Yankees and led by Henry Billings Brown who was born in Massachusetts started his career in Michigan and died in New York the only dissenting voice was a southerner named John Marshall Harlan who came from a family that owned a slave plantation and for my personal delight he also happened to be a presbyterian <laughs> that was when I was I wrote that when I was a presbyterian still and I still hold a lot of presbyterian beliefs all right so folks that it, it is total propaganda. The Yankees are the ones that passed through Jim Crow, not the South. The South actually uh, was the one. The Southern, uh, the Southern popular, the Southern representative in the Supreme Court voted against it. Oh, folks, folks, we got to get away from all this propaganda education that we get here in America. It's total nonsense. The Jesuits. Remember, remember the Jesuit racial liberation theology that comes out of the uh, Jesuit reductions in Paraguay. That's the issue, folks. You got to understand the the, the the Jesuit reductions in Paraguay. That's where the source of all of the class warfare propaganda, the perfection of communism, the racial liberation theology is all perfected in South America with the Jesuits. Okay. And I'm predicting we're gonna see more of that here with our Jesuit Pope who's just been elected. Uh he's from uh South America, and I guarantee you uh we're gonna see some serious fireworks with this Pope. So I hope you enjoyed the uh broadcast today. Uh I will be speaking on the Jesuits again. Uh, I'll be speaking on the Jesuits again in the coming uh, couple days here uh, I hope Yahweh is with you through his son Yeshua Maranatha